We are back in, back in Mark. We've just been looking at, um, if you're, if you're with us as a guest today, we've been looking through the book of Mark. We've been looking at who Jesus was in the book of Mark. Who he was when he came down to earth. What kind of guy was he? What did he have to bring to us? What did Mark notice about him? What did he have to say about him? And we're quite far in there. Uh, now, but we've seen some of the, the amazing things that Jesus has done in terms of uh, healings, miracles. We've seen how right the way through this book, um, Mark is just posing this question to us, who, who am I? And he claims this massive claim at the beginning of the book that he is the Messiah. He's the one that all of the Old Testament has been prophesying about that has come to bring people back into relationship with God and restore. And he lays this question throughout this whole thing as we look at everything he does for you to say, look, am I genuine or am I fake? It has been a brilliant time so far that we've been having and hopefully it will be today as well. Start with this. Let's start with the Freedom Church auction. I have asked Paul to come and join me. He is essentially our auctioneer. And I bought some wonderful, desirable things. They are very desirable. Very desirable things that Paul is going to do the wonderful job of selling to you this morning. He's going to sales pitch each of these items. He has no idea what is in my bag. He's a brave lad. <laughs> and um, and what I'd like you to do is, if you if you think he's done a good job, would you would you mind just putting a little bid in for the item as well? Just just little little sale. You know, all proceeds go to me and my coffee fund. So if we can just start with, let's start with this one. Like, oh, here's some, here's a nice one. This is a Nutrigrain bar that I've taken a little bite out of because I got hungry on the way in church this morning. Would you mind the, you know, wonderful item? I'm sure you're going to get lots of bids for this. Please, you just do a sales pitch for us. It just got raisins in. Right. It doesn't like raisins. Keep, keep, keep you regular. Yeah, it is Kellogg's, so it's very good quality. You can cut the bite off if you don't want to bite. Oh. Um, packaging, very shiny. Um, 10p. 10p, 10p. Anybody, any bids on, any up on 10p? Come on. 11p. 11p. This is good, this is good. It is raisin. Raisin flavour. Not tree game rain. I think 11p is a good price. Go with that. Yeah, 11p. Going once. Go. Going twice. Gone. Gone for 11p to the man at the back. Here you go. Keep your money. <laughs> All right, next one we've got in here. Do you want to grab one of these other items out there? One of those? What's that one? A lovely, lovely. What is that? Do you know who that is? <laughs> I don't. That's a framed picture of Michael Gove, the former education oh. secretary. Responsible. Responsible for increasing exams and less drama in schools. And I know you love drama, so. Minus 20. You can draw on it. You can. I do need the frame back, just so you know as well. So, just the picture of us trying to sell a conservative politician in Liverpool. Come on, come on, come on. You could draw on it. You know, he's known as an intellectual, a thinker, a forward thinker. What's that? Yeah, uh, arm round me. Bezzy's, Bezzy's, me and Govey. You're gonna give you a Nutrigrain bar for it. God, you sell it. Sorry. <laughs> you can draw a fake moustache on it. Hey, yeah. You can do whatever you want to the picture. Rip it, burn it, whatever. 
Or you could keep it as... Yeah? Oh, nice, nice. Maybe, maybe it could be... Maybe it could be there on your mantelpiece, looking horrible. I think he looks quite smiley, do you not? I think 50p at the back is a good take for that one. Look at that. Going from once, the, from going the southerner at the back there, he will take Michael Ghost's picture. <laughs> now, this is the next special item. These are uh, some of Chrissy B's used football shots from last week. Unwashed, I might add. They've... Oh, okay. <laughs> They're Nike. Um, probably worth a bit more than 50p. <laughs> Come on. I think he's... Holy socks, church leader socks there. Yeah. Uh, you, you can use them a bit like that um, handkerchief. A pound. Pound. A pound. Here you pound. Go. Quick, get rid. Gone. No. Right, and the my and my personal my personal favourite. This one, I've gone rather childish. I might add. What is that? It is a poo. <laughs> it's a in a box. <laughs> it's, a, it's a poo. Well, I mean. Do your eyes lie? Eh? But it's not a real poo, because there's a <laughs> hole right down the middle of it. So you can play pranks on people. Oh, and also, prank poo. The Small story about the poo in a box. Uh, when we got it on Friday through the post, uh, my wife threw it at our four-year-old, and she did think it was real, and she it was horrible. She was, she was terrified by it. So if you want to discipline your children in new and exotic ways, maybe this is the... The box thing. is also in good quality. Tupperware box. Anybody want to poo in a box? One million. One million pounds. Oh, there we go. Wonderful. Can you give Paul a round of applause? Here you go, Amanda. I told you, sublime to ridiculous. You worship God and then you have a poo in a box. What has this got to do with anything? What has it got to do with anything? Oh my goodness. Sometimes the, the, sometimes the others leave me to my own devices and this is what happens. They're to blame. So we are in Mark, as I explained, having a great time. Mark 8, 34 to 38. Small bit of scripture, very powerful, is the one we're going to be reading and looking at today. Let me just read it to you. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, that's Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels would save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, the glory of his Father, with holy angels. There's so much in here. But one thing, one thing we see clear as day in this passage, and we learn about Jesus, is this. Jesus is a really bad salesman. He's a terrible salesman. Just a bit of history and where we're up to. You know, we're just in this chunk of Mark here, which is chapters 7 to 10. And all of this is happening up here. Everything that we see in these chapters is happening up in the northern part of the kingdom, in the furthest reaches of the Jewish kingdom. 
And we know from verse 27, which we've not read today, that when Jesus said these words that we're reading today, he was about as far north as his ministry ever went, up right in this top part, Caesarea Philippi. The only time he went further was actually to Tyre, which start, we start off in chapter 7 about. And he's right in the place where Jewish influence starts to fade. Here, the Herodians ruled under Rome. In fact, it was Herod's son, uh, Philip Herodias, I think his name was, something along those lines. These were uh, a family who argued to the Jews that they were the true kings of Israel. But they also promoted Roman rules, cultural beliefs and gods to keep Rome happy as well. I mean, you can see it in this town's name at the top, Caesarea Philippi. It's a mixture of the two cultures. What this meant, though, about this place was it was a bit more distant from Jerusalem's religious leaders. And everything up in this place was more influenced by pagan and Roman thoughts in the northern regions. It it was full of a mixture of people who already had their king in place. And it was full of people, the the, the people that the Jews referred to as dogs, as we've already found out as well. People outside of the Jewish heritage who had no real reason to believe in God, the God of Israel, like the Jews. No history of him saving them. No parents passing on stories of faith down the lines to them. No law to live by. You know, many of these people had just done fine without him under the great Roman rulers. They were believing in totally different things. Their whole world story about the way the world was was different. So many of the people in the crowd that we see were gathered at this moment, this day, it was probably the first and perhaps the last time that Jesus would encounter them. And it was in this moment that he, was this moment that he had to convince them of who he was and the grace he had come to show them. This was the moment he had to sell Christianity to them, to take away their blindness to God. And you would expect him to do, wouldn't you, in this moment, something like Paul did in our auction. And he's not selling rubbish. Emphasize and underline all of the benefits of this, to this crowd of confused non-believers of what it meant to follow him. You'd expect him to say things like, got a hole in your soul and not even a Mars bar can fill? Jesus will fill it. Need power to overcome, to win the race? You don't need Lucas aid or power aid. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need God to come and dwell with you and in you and amongst you, bringing his power in his life. Christianity, the only place to get eternal life insurance. You'd expect him to sell all these wonderful benefits of what it is to be within the Christian faith. But he doesn't do this at all in this one moment before this crowd. Instead, Jesus does this. Firstly, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Jesus' opening statement is essentially this. Look, 
you don't want me. Following me is not about getting what you want. It's about denying what you want. He tells the crowd that your wants and desires are all messed up and broken. And you need not to follow them, but to ignore them, reject them and deny them. Now, I don't know a great deal about marketing strategy, but I know that you don't start a sales pitch with this, hi, you don't want this product. You immediately want to find reasons, like Paul did so well, of why this product will be a benefit to you. Look, it's got raisins in it. This is going to be good for you. I mean, can you imagine Chris C.B.? needing to make a a big steel sale, needing to keep all of his cash flow going, keeping the business alive. And he calls Sammy. As far as I can tell, everybody he sells steel to is an Irish guy called Sammy. (laughs) Hi, Sammy. I have some steel and you don't want it. But if you just ignore what you'd want, I'd be happy to sell it to you. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But Jesus is just starting with this truth here. This was a crowd that was not interested in Jesus. We know that from the stories of things like Bethsaida, haven't we, that Chris talked to us about a couple of weeks ago, where actually, you know, he'd done things, done great miracles in there, but they'd just not been, they'd not been interested. They'd been cold to him. They maybe wanted to come and see what it was about. He caused a bit of a stir, but they didn't really want Jesus. They had the things that they believed in all in place. The things that they wanted to do with their lives had already been set in stone. Rome was doing well. The Herodian kings were in power. Their desires were all directed somewhere else than in Jesus and in him. You don't want me, but I'm not about you getting what you want. You need to deny what you want and chase after something different, he starts with. Then going on from this, Building on this point, Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is where Jesus' sales technique becomes just downright horrendous. Here he says to the crowd, not only do you need to deny what you want, what you've grown up wanting, what you're comfortable wanting, what the world around you wants, to really get it, what I'm about, you need to take up something that you really don't want to do, that no one in their right mind would want to do. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. What what did this phrase, take up your cross, mean? Well, to all his listeners in the crowd... The meaning of the cross would have been plain and simple. The cross was a form of torture and death used in the Roman Empire that was so horrible it was reserved for the worst of criminals. It was so bad and undignified that it was never to be used on a Roman citizen. And often, before people were hung on the cross, condemned individuals after being whipped to their bare bone, would be made to carry the heavy horizontal beam through the street as a form of public shaming as they were judged, rejected, spat at, despised by everybody else in their community. Listen, I don't know about you, but there's not uh, a lot more than I fear than being 
publicly shamed. Publicly shamed and judged. The fear of having everybody hate me and judge me and reject me because of something I've done or because of what I believe. You know, it's, it's often this fear more than anything else that would silence me in this world from opening up about my faith and who I am and what I believe. Shame is a powerful thing. And it's something as we go on here, we see that Jesus is attacking here. So this is the second major part of Jesus' sales pitch to this crowd. You have to deny yourself what you want and exchange it for a life of being prepared to have what you don't want. Prepared to be shamed, judged, outcast, condemned and hated by others at times. Uh, Again, just imagine if this was CB's follow-on. You don't want this steel, but don't think about that. Deny those wants, because if you buy it, you're going to get a load of stuff you have never wanted. Misery, suffering, rejection, and maybe a brick through your window, a bit of persecution, and loads of people are going to shame you publicly for buying it. Oh my goodness, you know, it looks like Amanda got a good deal with that poo in the box, doesn't it? Do you know, like I'd go for that over this as it stands. But there's a remarkable honesty in this statement about Christianity. Not only is the whole thing about getting what you don't want, it's not some holy self-help scheme. It's also really, also really hard at times because under everything else it brings, it's also about following the example Jesus would soon set when he journeyed to Jerusalem and took up the heavy crossbeam on his back for God, for the salvation of others, putting it on display despite the shame and ridicule you may get because you know it's the means of showing grace, his grace, his goodness, his life to others. You know, Christianity is actually about being brave enough to go against the grain and what the world around us, particularly in this country, believes. Sticking to principles and beliefs when no one else will. Being above reproach in a world that likes to compromise. Sticking your head faithfully above the parapet. Being prepared to go into enemy territory and proclaim the cross. And do you know what this brings from crowds that have never even thought about Jesus? Judgment, shame and challenge. It's challenging, but this is what Jesus says plainly and directly to the crowds. Do you know, like, uh, this is enough for anybody, isn't it? Deny what you want, take up your cross. But Jesus isn't finished here, actually. He's not done yet. He goes on to reinforce his point, saying that for me to be a follower of him, verse 35, I need to utterly lose my life for him and the gospel. He goes on from there in verse 36, I'm not to seek to gain stuff in the world. I'm not to seek to focus on gaining stuff in the world. I'm to leave that behind. Do you know, these two lines are so challenging because like most people back then and now, pretty much everything I do in my life can be summed up by trying to get better stuff, better house, better job, more friends, deeper friendships, bigger experiences, or being concerned on how my life is going. 
How happy am I? How healthy am I? How comfortable am I? How uh, is everything as good as I want it to be? How well am I doing in my job? How's my financial situation? Most of my prayers to God are about give me more and keep me in mind well. Most of my frustrations are when he hasn't answered these prayers. And Jesus here is saying that these concerns have to take a back seat, not just to pretend one in my life, not just one so that I can look good in Christian circles, but a real radical one. Where they're not on my agenda, where I lose my concern for them to some degree, where I literally die to them. And my concern instead is, first and foremost, how bright is the gospel shining in my life? How well am I carrying my cross? How well is every aspect of my life communicating the gospel? Where this is my first aim in the day? How am I communicating it to my wife, to my kids, others in church, my friends, my work colleagues, the strangers? Over and above, how am I doing and what are my wants? He's saying this should be the first priority. It's such a challenge. Then Jesus rounds off with this absolute beauty. He calls the crowds an adulterous and sinful generation. And he uses this word again that's cropped up once, shame. He calls this generation one that's full of unfaithfulness. He says it's one that keeps breaking trust with God, keeps cheating on him with other things, like an adulterous husband who leaves his wife over another for other women repeatedly. And full of sin, full of wrongness, brokenness, dirt, Ways of living that are deeply offensive to God and his creation. Basically, he tells the crowd they are in a horrible state, whether they know it or not. Talk about forgetting the customer is always right, Jesus. Madam, here are your eggs. By the way, you're a complete state. You're an adulterous whore and an offence to God. I don't want to buy your eggs, thanks. But on top of Laying out that we must deny our wants, be prepared to be cross-carriers, die to our former focus and the stuff about ourselves. Jesus says we must not be ashamed of letting others know this truth about their state before him. We must not be ashamed of being as plain and honest as he is to the crowd in this moment. You know, truth be told here at this stage, when I'm speaking to a group of people in this context who I know are mainly Christians and aren't going to stone me for saying this, I'm pretty brave. The world is in sin, I cry out when I'm preaching. The world has clearly broken faith with God, I say when I've got a microphone. But out there, I'm all all too often timid and ashamed of Jesus when the rubber hits the road. Because being as direct and blunt and straight-talking as Jesus is here, makes me feel ashamed. And my words fall apart so often in those moments. Matt, tell me why I should believe in God. Because you're in, um, uh, you're in need of God's love. He's a really nice guy. Do you know why I say this? Because I don't want to bring offence. And I'm afraid of the shame that it would cause me. Do you know the best evangelists I know are horribly embarrassing. 
They make the rest of us squirm in our seats because they're the ones who don't get or give a monkey about social graces. They've learned to overcome shame and the barrier that shame is to the gospel. I was once sat with a wonderful guy, Mike Springer. Um, You might have met him before. I mean, he's brilliant, but he's horribly embarrassing. And I showed him a track that I'd just written, because I wanted just to check it out. I wanted to look good before him to show him that I was thinking about this evangelism thing. He was the evangelist in our church. Uh, And it was a track that I'd written to try and explain the gospel to students when I was a student. And he looked at it, he was like, oh, it looks okay to me, but there's only one way to find out, Matt. And he turned around to the lady who was sat behind us in this cafe, who was clearly busy working and a bit stressed. And with complete disregard for what she was doing, he said, hello, my friend's just written this. He wants to know whether it's good or not. Could you tell him? (laughs) Mike! (laughs) Mike, you're killing me! I died in my seat. I felt shame there. Mike, on the other hand, started a conversation with a lady who had never thought about Christianity, about Jesus. And she got to hear the gospel that day. I think my tract was rubbish, by the way. (laughs) Mike did a good job of selling it after that. She engaged in a good, really good conversation with him, thought it was fine, like good, got her thinking and went away. There was no commitment to God in that moment. But yes, she she had a full presentation of the gospel because Mike was not ashamed of it. Jesus here says we have to exchange social graces for being brave. And being prepared to rebuke a world that doesn't know him and is in trouble with him. We need to be unashamed. So there it is. There's the backbone Jesus has one chance with this crowd to speak to them about Christianity when it comes to following him. He doesn't talk about the hole in the soul where you're going to feel complete if you get it. No, there's some good stuff in that, but that's not where where he goes. He says this, following me is tough and it's about making a big exchange. What I'm selling is this. Everything you want and you ever wanted in exchange for the shame, ridicule and judgment of the cross. Do you know, with that the end of the story with this passage, I genuinely think if I had been in the crowd, I would have walked away and not given Jesus a second thought. I'd have gone, that is too hard. I quite like my life and I would have rejected it outright. But weaved, actually, if you look closely within this passage, in this brutally honest account of what it is to follow Jesus, are some notes that we need to listen out for. And some moments that show us why it is essential that we make this change and exchange to follow Jesus. Why it is essential that we buy what he's selling. And it's mainly this, because this is the exchange that brings about salvation true salvation from the situation we're in. We see this in three key places as we go through this passage. Verse 35 says this, if you don't make this exchange and stick with what you want, you will lose your life. For whoever would save his life will lose it. They will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels would save it. In verse 36 He says, if you don't make this exchange, but keep just buying the world stuff and look into that, 
you will forfeit your soul. Strong language, isn't it? But finally, and most powerfully, if you don't make your this exchange, but you and others will stay in the adulterous and sinful state that you're in, and as such will be judged by God. And all he will see is shame in you when he returns. Verse 38 says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. Jesus' use of the term Son of Man here is so important. Son of Man, this phrase that he refers to himself as throughout the Gospel of Mark. You see, this was the phrase used by the great Jewish leader and prophet Daniel to describe how God was going to save his people from captivity once and for all time. We see this in a prophecy he had in Daniel seven thirteen to 14, where he said this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. Do you know, we can be so guilty of underestimating just who Jesus is. And here, by using the phrase son of man, Jesus is saying that ultimately he is the one who Daniel spoke of when he spoke of this prophecy, when this day of deliverance. One who one day will come on the clouds in unmatched glory and power like we have never seen before. Anointed, by the one who has no beginning and no end, God himself. To rule a kingdom of God's glory that will have no limit or boundary, that will flow over and judge every person, every culture, every place, every tribe, every tongue. Jesus who preached. Jesus who healed. Jesus who knew things no one else could know. Jesus who carried his cross for us, will ultimately be the judge of every soul who has ever lived for eternity because he is the one given authority to do so. And when he does this, when he comes in glory, how he responds to you will depend on how you have responded to him. Whether you made the exchange he lays before you in the crowd in this passage Did you lay down your sinful ways and desires of your life for the shame, the ridicule and the judgment he took on the cross? And did you follow his example? You know, the Bible's story of the world is honestly this. It's that it's not okay. It's not okay. It's trapped, it would describe it, in a pit of sin and wrongdoing and warped desires and broken relationship with him that it cannot get out of. And because of the way that we are living in this pit, we sit in the eye of judgment of God, of a holy God, 
We're doing things that make him angry and living in a way that makes him ashamed. And one day, for better or worse, he will judge our lives. But you know what? We've been singing about it this morning. Because he so loved the world, because he loved us even in this state of being in the pit, he threw down a lifeline into the pit. Jesus, who if we are prepared to trust fully, if we're prepared to trust in this rescuer fully and not be ashamed before him, he will lift us from the pit. And then to every generation that follows, he sent those who had been rescued back down into the pit, following his example, so that others too could be pulled out of this trap. If only they too would trust in the ropes he threw in. Rather than judge, God wanted to save us both from our current state and the judgment he would bring. If only we would make this exchange. It's a tough exchange, but it's an exchange that brings salvation, restoration. It brings the healing that only he can bring in this place. Our lives for his cross, our lives for his example. Our lives for his salvation. Jesus was no salesman. That's so clearly apparent. But I love that. I love it. In fact, one of the major criticisms you'll sometimes hear about Jesus, that he was a cheap peddler of tricks, a bit like Darren Brown, trying to sell everyone a nice story, like a load of other traveling messiahs that were about at the time. Passages and accounts like this throw criticisms like that totally out of the window. He wasn't trying to manipulate people into buying something. He was trying to hit people straight with the hard facts about how God sees the world, broken and separate from him, full of horrible sin that will bring his holy judgment, a place that if we don't die to and learn to stand in as Jesus did, learn to have our minds and our hearts renewed, we will remain unsaved with all that means when he stands in judgment of our lives. Here you are, he says to the crowd. He knew didn't really want him. This is how God sees you. Now you know the facts. You've got freedom to choose. Listen, guys, if you're here for the first time, if you don't know Jesus, there's this wonderful world in Christianity called grace which is that even though you don't deserve it, Jesus came and just by trusting in him and his rescue, you can come into the fullness of grace and be completely restored from everything you've ever done wrong. Everything. Because Jesus' cross paid the price for everything you ever done wrong, did wrong in this world. It's just by trusting in him. Christians, followers of Jesus, Here's where I want to land. You know the great thing that God has done for you. You know what it is to be restored in line with God. You know what the word is. You know what the word says. You know what the gospel is. You know what price it was bought at. Is shame, is shame, is that word shame? Though stopping you living out the exchange that you have made. Has fear of man stopped you telling others 
hey man, you're in the pit. And although you don't want Jesus, you need Jesus. Has it stopped you being brave in all situations? Especially when faced with people you know don't really want Christianity. Has it stopped you delivering the full message? Is it time to recognise again that Jesus has called you to be brave where it matters? Speak truthfully and openly to this generation again and go down on that rope into the pit to be part of God's saving plan to lift people out. Christianity is a hard exchange. It's not a self-help programme. It involves some death on our part. It involves standing up against things, even when it's painful. But ultimately, at the end of the race, it means salvation and life in its fullness. And for now, people, it means restoration. Restoration to that relationship with God.